So once in a while, you know, we'll, we'll take a bit of a detour, and, and, and we're going to do that a little bit this morning. Um, I wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to start a little bit of a discussion about something I read. Did anybody read about the school system out in Utah, just north of Salt Lake City, that has decided that the Bible is not appropriate reading material for elementary school students and how that came about. And just, uh, I, I, find it, I find it interesting, and unless I got my, my, my stories wrong, and, and I wanna uh, preface it by saying I think I have this, this accurate, that the idea was that they would put some sort of legislation in place that would define books that were inappropriate for elementary school students. And by doing so, it would give the parents a way to bring up books that they felt were inappropriate. Then they would say, well, does it meet or go against these standards? If it goes against these standards, then we will say you are right and that will pull it out. So they developed a series of standards. They gave the parents a way to protest. And wouldn't you know that in doing so, someone came in and said, well, if this is what you're going to say is inappropriate, because you're talking about things that are related to uh, sexual things and, and violence and so on and so forth. The Bible has all of these things in it. And so since the Bible has all of these things in it, don't you think you should look at that too as inappropriate reading for elementary school kids? <laughs> right. So, so they, they take a look at it and they say, well, you know, we, we've established our, our, our foundation okay, yeah, you're right. And, and so they made the decision that the Bible should not be made available. I assume they're talking about the library. Uh, yeah, would not be made available to elementary school kids. And so it's been removed. And, and now this is the part that absolutely floors me. Apparently the next book that's up for review is the Book of Mormon. This is Salt Lake City, folks. This is Mormon headquarters. And they are about to review whether or not the Book of Mormon would be made available to elementary school kids in a library, and they're gonna to have to use the same criteria that they've used to, to remove the Bible. And I just wondered what your thoughts are this morning on, one, establishing you know criteria and things like that. It sounds like it's a noble effort, and, in, and we, as parents of kids, we wanna have a say-so in what's there. Uh, but at the same time, when we start talking about the Bible, it starts to become offensive to us as Christians that this is clearly not what we hoped would come out of something like that. And, and so I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on the Bible in schools, the Bible being available. What, what does this make you think? Is, our, is this more evidence of our world coming to an end? Um, you know, just just give me some feedback. Let's take a few minutes and, and have a discussion if you feel like it this morning. It's a double-edged sword, and your back is kind of against the wall. I know when I did before and after school programs, I tried to get the Bible study class going, and the school was for it to an extent. She said, if we allow you to have the Bible study class before and after school, what else are we supposed to allow in here? She's actually all for a Bible study and godly things, but then what else do we allow in because we allow that in? Because we don't really have the grounds to say there is something else. 
and that's kind of the end to that. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to have it because other things were going to be allowed in. And now it's taking a totally different turn to, okay, we want good things in our school, but now because of all these standards we have to meet, the good can't come in either. It's a sticky situation. Because so. I heard that they had, one school had like, um, you know, Bible club after school. Now this group was wanted to have Satan club after. That's right. Yes, yes. You've you've allowed one in, then you've got to open the door to everyone. And so, so when when you think about that, there's there's a part of me that has always said, I absolutely can't stand the fact that we can't we can't pray in schools. We can't do this. We can't do that. Then there's another part of me that says, I think I'm okay with it because. My kid is going to, to, to school next to the Muslim, next to the Jew, next to the, you know, you go down the line. And if we say that our country is based on Christian principles, and it's those Christian principles that grant the freedoms that they grant, then by those principles, my mind starts going in circles. And I start saying, well, that means that they should have the freedoms to be able to have what they want as well, because they get to worship freely. I get to worship freely. And so if the door does get open to one, then it does almost have to get open to everyone. And if we don't do it that way, then we're backpedaling on freedoms and we're backpedaling on. And so then I go back to scripture and I think, well, how does scripture tell us that we're supposed to handle the teaching of God's word? And I go back to the family. I go back to home. I go back to, you know, and I say, if, if our families and our homes are doing what they're supposed to do, and we're, and we're actively involved in leading our children and guiding our children and doing what it tells us to do in Leviticus, you know, every, essentially every moment of the day when you lay down, when you rise up, you are living out and teaching God's word in your home, then what takes place at the schools, you can handle that. You can deal with that. You know, because essentially, yeah, they're there a lot. The kids are at those schools for X number of hours a day. But when they come home, you can straighten this out. You can work with this. I mean, I, it, it's my, my opinion, at least, that the real issue comes back to that too often we don't find in the home doing what God tells us we're supposed to do as a family. And then we start pointing fingers elsewhere, including the church. Church should never take the place of the responsibility of the parents. And far too often, and being involved in children's ministry as long as Ann and I have been here, far too often you get this feeling that, that sometimes the children's ministry in the church is being used as a babysitter. And, and, and I'm saying that because for a while there was a talk around Bellevue that that's all Awana was at Bellevue Baptist Church. It was a babysitter thing for parents to have an hour to go off and do whatever they wanted to do. And that discussion was had over here at the at, at, at Chuck's. And that discussion wound up coming back around to, to Rachel Jones. And Rachel starts sending me an email going, do you realize people are just saying it's, it's about babysitting? And you know what I said? Okay, fine. I mean, the kids are coming and the kids are being taught. And we need to reach out to those parents. But I don't care what they say. Let's just do what we're supposed to do. You know, let's, let's stay focused on what we're supposed to stay focused on. But it, but it comes back to, and, and, and so th this is where my brain goes in circles. 
I would, I would love the Bible to be taught. I would love the Bible to be, to be a central part of what goes on in schools. And I do feel that when they make the decision to teach no morals, by default, they are teaching bad morals. But I don't know how you change that. I don't know how you do that and still keep the foundations that it feels like we should have. Any, any comments? I think we do this once in a while. We go, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jim. The more they talk about the sex and violence, the more the kids are going to want to read it at home. <laughs> you know, you got a good point there. Yeah, the more the more you ban it, the more they're going to want to see what's going on with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the good parts of it. So, 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 yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> to go back to your point of, you know, being taught at home, if, if the Bible, if, if parents were doing what they should at home and the Bible was being taught, these things shouldn't. These other things shouldn't have any effect on your children. They've been taught, you know, and they, they, they know, they already know what they're going to see and why they're going to see it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look back 50s, 60s, I mean, up to, you know, probably the early 70s, you know, the, the Bible was, it was used in schools as, as to teach reading. Um, the earliest colleges were founded not to produce doctors and lawyers, but to produce pastors. Um, it was the Bible was taught and because the Bible was taught people had principles to live up to and those principles aren't there anymore and that's why all of this you know madness is out there now and it's all you know it's all part of you know Satan separate trying to separate our society people from his word when you come into church you've got to teach children morals and there's churches that don't teach the children morals. And many of them, when they come to Awanas or so forth, they come from broken homes, whatever. They do. And they've got no morals at home. The biggest thing that's coming out of this is, is a thing for school choice. And if, if you don't like this school, what, to what they're teaching, you go to a private school or whatever. And, and if you don't do that, then you've got a problem. We, we always found in Awana the hardest thing to do was to figure out how we take the children's ministry and get it to, to, to pass from the children over into the home and get the parents involved. Because the parents come, they drop the kids off, and they leave. And then they come, they pick the kids up, and they go home. And, and engaging with them was difficult. And you find that what's supposed to happen, the kids are supposed to take their, take their books and their verses and they go home and they work on them with their parents and their family. And invariably they go home and because of the way life is today, that didn't happen. It didn't hardly happen in my house even. And it didn't happen and invariably the kids would lose their books and they come back the next week. So we, we got to the point where we made it where that was impossible. We started keeping their books. We started keeping their books here so that we wouldn't have to keep replacing their books or keep making copies because they weren't here. And, and, and I, I started thinking about that not that long ago. Our goal was to get this to permeate. Not, I mean, obviously, we want kids to know Christ. But, but a secondary goal was to get this to permeate throughout the home. And when you start saying, well, you can't take your book home because you keep losing it, we're, we're shooting that in the foot. Um, that, that's a side discussion. But at the same time, it, I think it illustrates... How, how difficult it is to influence what's going on at home 
from the church. You can't you can't go backwards as easily as if it's in the home and it comes into the church, and uh, it's 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 tough. But it it does illustrate what's wrong in so many ways, as you've said, that when those when those when these pieces stop working together. In third grade, I was given a Gideon Bible in elementary school. We actually had a Gideon come into our third grade class. No, I, nobody thought twice about it. It was perfectly fine. And I came home with a little, with a little Bible. You know, I thought it was so cool. And you, oh my goodness, you couldn't do that today at all. It would never happen. And you know, taking a step further with VBS, you know, one of the one of the goals of VBS is try to get as many parents. I mean, you're, you're having to work the system backwards to use the kids to try to get to the parents instead of the parents. You know, they should be wanting to send their kids to VBS. They should be, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big it's a big challenge. Um, but but you know what? Circling circling back to the to the initial topic, um, when you think about when you think about the Bible in the library in the schools, as much as I want it to be there as something that, and and I'm not trying to take away the power of God's word, if for no other reason than for a literary perspective. It, 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 it has a place in the library. It has a place to be there. It's historical. It, it is, absolutely it is. And, and so it, it, it belongs there. But then the double-edged sword comes in, as Crystal said, once you start applying principles and you say, well, this type of book can't be there if it has this in it. I'm wondering, what are they allowing? That's my concern. It sounds, as, and again, I may be wrong, but it sounds as if this system was set up so that parents would help them police it. Parents would say, oh, look, here's an offending book, and take it to the, to the school system. The school system would review it and say, how does it fall within our policy? And then they'd make a decision on it. So, so it, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. What are they allowing? Uh, but at least they were bold enough to put something in place. Because I don't want my child to be exposed to a book that has things that I am opposed to in it but unfortunately, there's some things in the Bible that might fall under that category if it were in another book. And then I'm stuck. A couple of years, the library's going to be Yeah, you're probably right, Jim. <laughs> so I had to call the school this year about the exact same thing. Like, my child kept coming home with books that I was just not feeling good about because they felt more like uh, a teen magazine than literature. Yes, yes. So I called the principal and basically she just said, well, you tell me the kind of genre of books that you don't want her to check out and we'll flag her library account so she can't bring this home anymore. And I thought that was a good compromise. That's, that's interesting. Okay. She said, unfortunately, we have some kids that will only read this style of book and my goal is to teach kids how to read. I didn't think it was. That's not the greatest answer in the world. It's a compromise. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a compromise. I was really upset, but, you know, it just seemed like it kept happening. Like, there's some just worldly books and lots of 
yeah. drama that shouldn't be in a third grader's hand. <laughs> But it is. But it is, and 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 you got to be careful with TV shows, and it all, you know, that all that all rolls into it. So, so let's 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 parlay that a little bit then, and, and we'll, we'll we'll try to see if I can segue that back into where we were last week when we were talking in Acts 15, because in Acts 15, if you recall, we were talking about the the, the Jerusalem Council and how the Gentiles who had received the gospel from Paul and Barnabas and others had been told that they needed to obey the laws of Moses in order to be a Christian and in order to be saved. And so the council gets together and has a discussion and they say, what is it that we are going to to tell these Gentiles who are having problems. And, and, and uh, Peter, Peter goes through and makes the case that clearly God intended for the Gentiles to be saved as well as the Jews. He, uh, he, he makes the case that he witnessed the Holy Spirit come upon the Gentiles. And so it was very clear that throughout this whole process, God is saving both Gentile and Jew and that the same Holy Spirit dwells within them and they are saved by the same grace and they are saved by the same um, uh, acts upon the cross that that uh, Jesus committed for all of us. And so when he, he lays that groundwork and they have a further discussion and James comes up with this compromise, if you will, and he says, let's put together a letter and let's send it back to these Gentiles. And actually, they, they wind up hand delivering it and reading it. But let's send it back to the Gentiles and let's tell them just a few things that we think will, will work out here. And essentially, let me read from verse 19 through 21 again in chapter 15. And so in verse 19... This is James, I believe, speaking here. He says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So in other words, again, this is a recap, but in other words, Moses is, is taught in every city. And it's probably not out of the stretch of the realm of, of uh, reality that there were probably synagogues at this point in some of these places filled with Christians. Because they're going back there to worship where they know to worship, but now they are Christians instead of Jews because they've received the gospel. And so to, to James's point, you're going to have Christians and Jews who are going to be intermingling. And because of that, he proposes a compromise. He proposes this compromise that says, let's not burden the Gentiles with all of the laws of Moses. Let's not say that it is necessary for them to be circumcised. Let's not go there. But let's instead say, stay away from sexual immorality. And as I said, that's just a no-brainer. Um, you know, when it comes to sexual immorality, it leads to all sorts of things. And we're talking about Gentiles who, who didn't have a Jewish background and perhaps are pretty weak about how they handle things with regards to sexual immorality. 
So that's the that that's probably should be at the top of the list. But goes on to talk about how don't eat these things that are polluted. That in other words, something that's been sacrificed to an idol, and don't eat anything with blood in it. Now those that's something that actually was handed down prior. Uh, to the Ten Commandments, and so it's been around for quite some time. And we talked last week that perhaps there's a, an element of health to that, um, and then maybe there is. I can see that being the case. But it's the reason I'm, I'm hammering this again is because it really does come down to being able to compromise. <clears throat> it comes down to there's not a doctrinal compromise here. Nobody is compromising the gospel. Nobody is taking away or adding to the the core of what it means to be saved, how you were saved. But instead, they're saying the Jews are going to have some beliefs that are really non-essential in nature. The Jews are going to have some beliefs about what they should eat, how they should do it. And as Christians, you shouldn't be a stumbling block to these people. And so when you are eating together with them, because a lot of churches met in houses, eating together was, I mean, the the potlucks that we have, probably something like that occurred frequently back then. And people get together to eat, but you're going to have different customs and different backgrounds. And so on non-essential areas, people can disagree. However, don't, what does it say, pick your hills to die on? In this case, and and I think we can extend it to other cases, let's not make a mountain out of this molehill. If this person believes on Christ and is saved and has received the Holy Spirit, and yet they are against the eating of certain foods, and you too have received the Holy Spirit and are saved, and yet you see everything as clean, don't argue over this. If you're going to sit down with them, compromise. Because you have Christ in common, right? You have Christ in common. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 14. And let's take a look at what Paul has to say about some of these things. So he he takes it on a little bit further here. He says, Romans chapter 14, verse 1, is the, the, the title of this, do not pass judgment on one another. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." In verse 5, he talks about what, what we believe is a reference to, to the Sabbath. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. 
while the other who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And I'll stop there um, because the point is made that Paul is, is saying it's so important for us to find a way to... Was, what was, was it... Um, was it Rodney King? Why can't we all just get along? That's right. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, that goes back a ways. Um, but he, he's, he's making a point, and I want to make that point this morning because I think it kind of dovetails with a lot of our discussions. Um, we're not all going to agree on the same thing. But if you boil this all down, it goes to the point of if, you, if, you, if you're not compromising on important doctrinal things at the core of salvation, those things you can't compromise on. Truth is truth. And it always will be. But on the things on the outside, those are the things that wind up so easily driving a wedge between people who believe in the same God and have the same Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And you start to have pride and you start to have emotion you start to have all of these things that are earthly and worldly coming into play and it causes divisions and it causes problems and Paul is saying as James was saying in the letter back to the Gentiles we, we got to compromise here we got to look at each other and realize that we are all in Christ together and if we have that in common and we share that together we should not and cannot allow for these non-essential pieces of the puzzle, like what color are we going to paint the church door, that fits into this discussion. Let's not let those things divide us. It's still real prevalent, isn't it? It is. I mean, if you think just the, talk about the factions of Christianity. Absolutely. I mean, think about even in the more extreme sense, you know, Muslims, which... Shiite versus Sunni. I mean, they're bloodbath. Bloodbath. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's well, having been there, it's it's that's more media made up nonsense. Oh, is it? Yeah, the Sunnis and the Shia, they, they live across the street from each other. They, mm-hmm. it's the neighborhoods that I saw in Baghdad and around Baghdad. They didn't hate each other no, like we like we no, think, huh? It's, it's it's terrorists that hate everybody. Mm-hmm. That, but your, I mean, your point is your point is, is well taken. Well, no. There's a lot of quarreling, and it's and it's over the littlest stuff. Yeah. yeah. Why? Isn't it exhausting? <laughs> it is exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. It it it, it goes. It, you know, it goes back to that story I've I've, I've told it probably ten times in, in Sunday school, but it's uh, one of my favorite messages and favorite sermons um, from a, a pastor in Texas. Um, and he talks about the lake and he says, if you were, if, if, if God came to you and said, all right, there's all these people in the lake and they're drowning. Now your job is, I don't care how you do it. You get those people out of that lake. 
you build things, you get together, you work together, you, you, you put your heads together, you figure it out. You've got to get those people out of the lake. Now, I'm, I'm leaving. And when I come back, you better have those people out of the lake. And while you're gone, while he is gone, all the people get together. And as they start to talk about how they're going to get people out of the lake, they realize that, you know what, this would be nicer if we plant some shrubbery here. And it, and it would be kind of cool if we, if we uh, did this, you know, and built, built some sort of a dock over here to make some, maybe we could, you know, beautify this area. And you start talking about all these things that don't have anything to do with actually getting the people out of the lake. And so after some time, God comes back and he says, how did you do to get the people out of the lake? And you say, well, we didn't get too many people out of the lake, but we, we you know, we... Look at this. Isn't this nice? Sure looks good. It sure looks good, doesn't it? You know, we've, got a, we've, got a, we've got a great shrubbery going over here. We've got a nice dock over there. And, and look, we, you know, we, oh, we built a platform up there. You know, And you can go on and on and on. And God says, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to get the people out of the lake. And so when we get away from our core essentials of the gospel and our core essentials of the Great Commission for what we're supposed to do, we get worldly influences that drive a wedge between us, and not only are we causing problems, but we're flat out disobedient. Yeah. And so there's a lot to be taken from the things that we're reading about and studying here in the book of Acts for how they handled disagreements and, and issues that arose. It was clear to Paul and to Peter both that all things were clean, yet they, they told the Gentiles, you know, in order, and I'm paraphrasing, in order to keep the peace, why don't you just, just don't eat these things? Just give this up. It won't hurt anything. Pretty simple and straightforward. A lesson to be learned out of that. I've almost gone longer. I usually like to stop at 1040 so folks can uh, come on in. But you got me on a, you got me on a rant, Jamie. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. It does. It made me think of, uh, I, could, I had to look up where it was, but it's in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through, <coughs> who knows. But it's, you know, he says, to the Jews, I became, Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to save a few, and to the Gentiles, like a Gentile. But one of the one of the best lines in here that I can find is that, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Amen. Yep. I like that. That's boy. We can we can take a lot lot home from that. So thank you this morning for the discussion. Thank you for participating. Um, thanks for indulging. Um, I'm going to try to, at least at least once a month, I'm going to try to bring a topic in here that we can um, banter about back and forth a little bit. And I didn't get a count. Justin's going to get me. One, two, three, four, Seven. five, six. Huh? Seventeen. Seventeen. Did you get Ann back there? Did you get me? No. <laughs> Eighteen. Okay. Thank you, Sue. Can you do that for me every Sunday? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> She's bored. She's bored. Thank you, Scott. She's bored. Thank you. Are you speaking for yourself? You know what? You can sit on the edge of this seat every week. Come to the front. That's what I'm saying. All right. Jamie, will you pray us out? Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, again for this day. It's a beautiful weekend, this weather, and a chance to gather together and discuss your, your word and try and better understand what it is you want for, for us and from us. And uh, please be with Tank as he brings a message and help 
and deliver what you've laid on his heart. Be with us all as we go about our weeks and help us keep you in our hearts throughout the week. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, sir.